At this time, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to our scripture passage we are going to consider this morning, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. You will find it in your pew Bibles on page 1047, 1047. And we will read the entirety of the chapter. Our text is going to be from verse 9 to 14, but we will read the entirety of chapter 12, just to give a little context as to what we are going to be discussing this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come, and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark, and the clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few, and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the doors to the street are closed, and the sound of grinding fades. When men rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint. When men are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets. When the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags himself along. And desire no longer is stirred. Then man goes to his eternal home. And mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed or the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring or the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, everything is meaningless. Not only was the teacher wise, but also he imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Thus far the reading of the word. Let us pray and ask the Lord to bless our time of study this morning. Let's pray. Almighty God, as we have read your word this morning, may you open our hearts, engage our minds, be with your servant as he speaks, be with your people as they listen. May we grow in the knowledge and grace of you. Lord, we ask all these things only in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Reading the book of Ecclesiastes, you'll notice that one of the phrases we read this morning is a very common phrase, but it's usually referenced at the beginning of the book. 
Meaningless. Meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And yes, that's in chapter 1, but it's also in chapter 12. In fact, my Hebrew professor back at seminary, Reverend Vanderhart, would say, well, if you look at Ecclesiastes, the entire book is a chiasm. Bookended on either sides, going through a whole history and a whole host of ideas that the teacher contemplates, that Kohelet contemplates. But there's a denouement at the end. There's a little tale, a little tagline. And yes, while you can look at the center of the chiasm and find what the book is about, you can also look at the end, the tale. And that's what we're going to consider this morning. When you ponder through all the meaninglessness of this world, how do you find meaning then? It seems to be the great question of my generation. As my generation has gone from being young, I was in high school when the Twin Towers were felled. As my generation grew to going to college, having a morphed sense of the world, now having these things called smartphones, where I could hit a button and 50 trillion pieces of information could be at my fingertips. I didn't have to worry about typing class, where if I made a mistake, I had to change an entire page. Now I just got to backspace a couple things and type in the right letters. I don't have to worry about going into a computer room with punch cards. No, that entire room is now being held in my hand. I can connect with people. And no, I don't have to wait for long-distance time after 8 o'clock at night. I can call my friends whenever I want, whether they're in California or Texas or Portugal or Cambodia or Australia or wherever else. And yet, as we've become such a connected culture and a connected society, Everything slammed on the brakes in 2020. And the entirety of the world culture almost shuddered as if we were coming up to a red light and we didn't notice it. And it's almost as if this world felt the void that it had wanted to ignore for so long. Governments decided... COVID-19 is such a real thing and it's such a, it's such a pressing issue. Everybody's got to stay at home. Lockdowns. Shutdowns. People who found their work disrupted. And not just work, but the entirety of their lives disrupted. Many people found meaning in their work. Many people found meaning in keeping their hands busy or their daily routine 
following one thing into another into another, having perfect organization in front of them. And yet when the, when the shutdown happened, when the lockouts came in, it all came to a crashing conclusion. What was your first thought when you woke up and said, I can't go to work today? We had massive amounts of anxieties. In fact, if you look at two different studies, one done by the University of Cambridge and another one done by Johns Hopkins University, when the shutdown happened, the two primary factors of suicide shot up by over 800%, anxiety and depression. We had more people lost in a pit of despair because they couldn't go to work or they didn't know where the next paycheck was going to come from that they said, life is meaningless. I don't want to be in this world anymore. Because when you're in this world, and this world is all you have, the teacher rings true, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Whereas was said in chapter 1, it's merely a chasing after the wind, a gathering of smoke. If you want to know what our world needs more than anything else at this time, it's meaning. When I went through college, I took a course in philosophy. In fact, I took a couple of different courses in philosophy, but they were disguised as ethics. Oh, Christian ethics, yeah, that'll be a great course to talk about, you know, what morality is. And Okay, tell me what good and evil is without using the words good and evil. Now you start getting into the comprehensions of well, how do I define life and Cartesian influence and you talk about Kant and we talk about this philosopher and that philosopher and you start whirling your way through ontological and epistemological understandings of things and I know I'm using a lot of big words for people. But what it all boils down to is this. Where do you find meaning in life? And is that meaning a worthwhile meaning? Or is it just an arbitrary decision that eventually you've had to make? You see, that's a lot of what the world offers as meaning. Hedonism. The chasing of pleasure. Nihilism. Well, it doesn't matter, we're all going to die in the end, so just do whatever you want. A lot of these things devolve into that. But when we look at our passage of this morning, the teacher, who has gone through 11 chapters of trying to find meaning in something, anything that this world offers, in verse 8, 
he comes to his conclusion. Meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. If you've ever read through the book of Ecclesiastes in your, in your devotions, or even just in a study, you'll see he deals with different sections. He talks about putting one into work, and I'm going to devote my entire life into work. And he says, it doesn't matter what I build, because it's all just going to fade away one day anyway. Well, what if I put myself into the study and gathering of knowledge? I will take all the world's knowledge and I will push it all together and I'll become the wisest man ever. And yet with much study, there is much heartbreak. With much knowledge, there is much weariness. Just because someone is wise doesn't mean he knows how to express it. And it doesn't mean that the wisdom that you have will be passed on effectively. Just because you know doesn't mean everybody else around you does too. And what about hedonism? What about surrounding yourself with the pleasures of this world? The wine eventually ends. The food eventually goes bad. The people around you eventually get sick of you. There's no pleasure in that. So through experience, through the testing of things, the teacher comes to his conclusion, if I'm looking for meaning in this world, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. when we look at the tail, the little blip on the end of Ecclesiastes, which wrap it all up, it leaves us with three final things. It leaves us with a final warning. It leaves us with a final call. And it leaves us with a final proverb. Now, first of all, the writer here talks about the Kohelet, the teacher. Some people say it was Solomon. Many people argue it couldn't have been Solomon. It had to be someone else. We don't really know. I would like to attribute it to Solomon because it, it fits so well with other details we know in his life. But the word here in the Hebrew is the Kohelet, the teacher. And in verse 9, it says, The teacher was wise, but he also imparted that knowledge to people. Brothers and sisters in Christ, just because you know something doesn't mean it's of value. We already learned that from earlier in the book. But if you impart that knowledge, if you take that knowledge that you have and pass it on, then I don't have to search through pleasure, and I don't have to search through study, and I don't have to search through work. He pondered. He searched. He set in order many proverbs. This was a life of study so that he could be known as the teacher. He took his job seriously. And through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he devoted himself. What does it mean to be wise? 
why do these Proverbs make sense? What's the point of these Proverbs? When I try to boil it all down and search into the meaning of things, does it make sense? If I live without God, why does everything crumble into nothing? And the Proverbs that are based upon that, they never hold true. And instead, at the very end, he turns. There is a shift. Remember him before the silver cord is severed or the golden bowl is broken. The world has no answers. There is only one answer. And so he writes these things down. He puts them in order so that people can understand them. He wondered. He gathered. He taught. And he used just the right words. How many times have you met someone or talked with someone and you can go, wow, that person's really smart, but he has no sense of how to deal with people. I had a professor when I was at Providence Christian College out in California. Such a wonderfully intelligent individual. He was an associate. He came in from outside. He taught at UC Irvine. Such a smart guy. So intelligent. Uh, you could ask him a question, and off the top of his head, he'd probably know the answer. Even if it wasn't his specialty, he was just amazingly brilliant. But he was the most abrasive person I have ever met in my life. And although you knew exactly what he was talking about, and you knew exactly what the answer was going to be because he had that right answer, He'd always talk down to you. You were always dumb for not knowing the answer yourself. He had dealt with ideas so often that it was almost like, oh, why don't you know this? How dare you not know this? You're, you're a college student. Deal with it. There are so many people in this world that have that knowledge that just can't put it in the right words. Sometimes it's through a stumbling of one's own tongue. Sometimes it's a personality issue. But when you deal with Proverbs and when you deal with universal truths, when you deal with things that are so comprehensive, you need to take the time to find just the right words. And that's exactly what the teacher did here. And he issues one final warning in verse 12. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. How many times have we heard the words of the wise and somebody tries to tack on something? How many times have we heard the word? 
oh, but you got to do this too. I understand that the Bible talks about this, and I understand that the Bible talks about that, and I understand what you believe as a Christian, but, you know, you just got to sow that $500 seed, and you know, things will go well for you. I understand that you're looking for a miracle in your life. But you know, if you help out my ministry, then God's going to bless you. When you take generosity and turn it into an obligation, when you take the grace of God and warp it into legalism, when you take the mercy of Jesus Christ and say, I need you here twice a year. And I need you to go to confession. And I need you to say your penance. And I need you to do this. And I need you to do that. The grace of God is no longer a gift. But rather it's snatched with the hands of legalism. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to the words of the wise. And then verse 12, the second half, which was probably one of my favorite verses when I was in seminary, and I would remind my professors every so often, of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. But this is an important phrase here. So many words have been spoken about so many topics. John, when he finishes the book of the Gospel of John, says if we were to take everything that Christ did in his life and write it all down on papyrus, it would fill the libraries of the earth world over and we still wouldn't have enough room for the books. you really want to know what people think about things, just type in a Google search about the word love. You can get hundreds of thousands of books by just typing in that one little phrase, and not a single one of them will talk about the love of God. They're all mere shadow. It's all mere likeness. And eventually it falls into weariness. The making of many books, there is no end. But, much study wearies the body. Much study of those books is what the teacher is talking about. He's not talking about much study of this book. He's not talking about of the making of many of these books, there is no end. What the teacher is really talking about here in verse 12 is that when it comes down to human ingenuity and human wisdom, you'll always find somebody trying to build one thing on another. Well, Confucius said this, and Sun Tzu said this, and well, we have Buddha, or we have Brahman, or we have this, or we have that, or we have... 
you know, this new age thing, and we have that new age thing, and what we really need to have is this hybrid between Islam and Christianity, and, and we'll try and find common grounds so that everybody can live together in peace and in harmony. And when you try to fit the pieces together, and you study it, and you study it, and you study it, and you study it, and eventually you figure out that this piece over here and this piece over here just don't go together. And it wearies you. And you realize that the hours that you've poured into it, and the weeks you've poured into it, and the months you've poured into it, and the lifetime you've poured into it, means nothing. It doesn't just weary, but it breaks someone. Much study wearies the body. Secondly, there is a final call. Sorry, that was the final call. I skipped ahead without making the heading. I apologize. Sometimes I get on a roll and I don't use the right words. Point three, however, is the final proverb. That is verse 13 to 14. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Our brothers in the Presbyterian Church used this as an outline, a framework, for their question-answer one of the Westminster. What is the chief end of man? to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. They wrap up all of life into that. The Kohelet wraps up everything and says, here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God. Keep His commandments. A way we could probably understand it, that's familiar to us, is in Lord's Day 1. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I'm not my own, but belong body and soul and life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He's fully set, or he's fully paid all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ by his spirit assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Fear God for what he's done. Keep his commandments out of gratitude because it is only he who can save. That's the whole duty of man. Realize who God is, what he's done, and what the call is to each of us. Because realize what we have here and now. This tiny little space of time 
like a breath, it'll be gone. The golden bowl will be shattered. The silver thread will be cut. And in the end of all things, God will be seated on a throne. And will your name be in the book of life? Or will he turn you away and say, be gone, I knew you not. You see, when we search for meaning in this meaningless world, there is truly only one answer. The creator who established the world, who has given each of us life, who saves us from the fall, who gives us a path to walk and gives us the grace and mercy to sustain that path. That is the only meaning of life. Fear God. Obey his commandments. Know that you are not your own, but that you've been purchased with a price. And so, as we leave this place this morning, may we realize that our call is not merely to know this, but to preach it on the streets every day with how we walk, with how we talk. We must hold out the word of life, not with many words, not with addendums, not with checklists, but pure and unadulterated light. That, brothers and sisters in Christ, is where we find meaning. Not in ourselves, but in how we and how the world sees Jesus. Soli Deo Gloria, to the glory of God alone. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and the only one who gives comfort in life and in death. We come before you, our great shepherd. You who have breathed your word, we ask that you would remind us of the meaning of life, that we do not find our meaning in this meaningless world, that we do not seek to creation for an end to all things, but Lord, let us keep you at the forefront of our minds. Let us have no other gods before you. And let us live like that for the rest of the week, for the rest of the year, and for the rest of our lives. That we may be your preachers to the world. This we ask in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, through the uplifting strength of the Holy Spirit. Amen.